Welcome to Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. The United States and China are in the midst of a tariff battle that has roiled world markets. There are also signs that the world economy is slowing, and that's prompted fears of recession. University of Minnesota professor of economics Timothy Kehoe joins us to discuss trade tensions, their impact on Minnesota-based companies such as Best Buy and Target, and the overall state of the economy. Professor Kehoe also is an advisor to the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. His opinions are not necessarily those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank or the Federal Reserve System. We spoke with him in his office on the U of M's Twin Cities campus. Professor Kehoe, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you very much, Jim. Good morning. Good morning. In August, President Trump called for U.S. businesses to cut ties with China, tweeting, and I quote, American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, close quote. Trump is known for off-the-cuff remarks, but how seriously are U.S. businesses taking this call to action? I think there's a lot of uh, uncertainty now in uh, international marketplaces. You know, a lot of U.S. companies were using China to uh, uh, source intermediate goods, and U.S. retailers were using uh, China as a supplier. And, of course, we know about companies like uh, Target here in uh, Minnesota that depends on uh, China a lot. And this would be very disruptive to their planning. But, you know, there's something even bigger than that going on, which is China has the largest and one of the fastest uh, growing consumer marketplaces in the world. And U.S. companies want in on that. They want to be able to sell to uh, Chinese consumers. So given that uh, U.S. firms have been planning on doing that, for uh, the last oof, 20 years, but it's uh, so accelerated a lot in the last 5, 10 years, having this trade war with uh, China could certainly hurt their profitability picture, make them have to replan, uh, be very disruptive. Is the trade war with China increasing the risk of recession? Yes, it is. We have to remember, you know, the English made very popular a... Uh, a saying, may you live in interesting times. And then, in fact, you can trace that back sometime in England and political literature and so forth. And it's often ascribed to the Chinese. And I, and, you know, I check that, and there's no evidence that that's a Chinese saying. Uh, Bobby Kennedy was famous for using that. Well, we're in exciting times. The last time that there's been a major trade war in the world was during the 1930s, during the, the Great Recession. Now, that um, the Great Recession was partially brought about by a breakdown in the, uh, in the world uh, financial uh, system, not so much trade wars, but the trade wars— and the U.S. part of it was called the Smoot-Hawley uh, tariffs, prolonged and deepened the worldwide depression. Are we there yet? No. Uh, where the United States is not in a recession right now, some parts of the world seem more on the brink of recession than, than we are, but certainly there's a danger of a recession. A worldwide trade war or even a deepening of the U.S.-China trade war 
And I remember last time we talked, I said, oh, the opening shots had been fired. No, no, now we're in a trade war with China. That would make a situation in both the China and the United States, which are now the two biggest economies in the world, that would make it worse. That could certainly tip us into a, a recession in the United States and in the world. But let's be clear about this. Uh, economists sometimes were criticized because we don't predict things ahead of time. You know, the way things work with investment and so forth, if we knew we would be in a recession next year, we'd already be in one right now. Self-fulfilling prophecy? A hundred percent right. There's uncertainty. And that's what I want to stress. There's uncertainty right now. Uh, and that's dangerous for the world economy. I would not be surprised to see us in a recession next year. But the fact that we're not in a recession right now means I'm not sure there's certainty of recession next year. Certainty of recession next year implies recession now. So there's a chance we're not going to be in a recession next year. What are some of the warning signs of recession that we're seeing? People talk a lot about the inverted yield curve. That is a change from the usual uh, relationship that short rates on borrowing are lower than uh, long rates. Economists have theories for that. That predicts, that indicator predicts more recessions than we have. So it's not a perfect indicator. But when we have recessions, we do get the inverted yield curve. So, so financial analysts are nervous about that. I'm, as an economist, I'm more nervous about some other things. That is the uh, European economy, particularly Germany. Germany's the kind of motor of uh, Europe right now. It's already started slowing significantly. China, well, we don't have great data from China, but the data that we do have indicates, that, and they've been on a trend towards slowing uh, for some time, uh, but they're slowing. Uh, the Japanese economy is uh, slowing. So the world economy... Mexico, Canada, Brazil, when we look around at some of the major economies in, in the world, they're slowing even faster than us. Now, that is dangerous. The United States, particularly since we're not doing that well, uh, the United States um, can't carry the whole world economy on its shoulders. That's a very dangerous sign. The uh, European Central Bank has uh, started uh, lowering their, their interest rates to zero or about zero. And this is a kind of thing we're seeing throughout the world. This is another way in which uh, trade wars manifest themselves, uh, is that countries just um, in the old days, in the, in the 1930s, we called this competitive devaluations that countries would uh, devalue. Now that we have uh, floating exchange rates, countries lower their interest rates, and that makes the currency depreciate. Now, that is something that the, and I can't, as, as we've already discussed, as an advisor at the Fed, I can't make any kind of predictions about the, the future. But we know that the Fed has cut interest rates, and the press speculates about them uh, depreciating, the lowering interest rates more, which would make the, the dollar depreciate. But you see, the depreciated against whom? 
The other countries are cutting their rates too. It's not clear how that's going to work. Well, it is clear how it's going to work. It's not going to work. So that's not where we're going to get a stimulus from a cheaper dollar for our exporters. And the trade wars or potential trade wars mean that uh, our customers uh, might not be borrowing from us in retaliation for uh, the tariffs that we are imposing. Remember, we don't have right now the uh, uh, Trump administration had announced that uh, we were doing an opt-out on the uh, North American Free Trade Agreement, and we replaced it by something that, except for a couple sectors, uh, notably uh, automobile parts, and that's going to be very disruptive, the changes in the uh, so-called USMCA with Mexico and with dairy, which is uh, important for the Canadians, except for a couple sectors like that. It is NAFTA with a couple pieces of the uh, TPP. The, the, Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership. The, 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 the partnership uh, to limit the uh, influence of uh, China in the Pacific that we opted out on, which I think was a big mistake. But the Trump administration took some of that and folded it into NAFTA, made a couple changes in the sectors I just mentioned, it, and called it a new trade agreement, whereas it's... Effectively, the, the economists consider it NAFTA too. It's uh, NAFTA with a couple tweaks. But, you know, we don't have that. And uh, if our trade relationship with Canada and, and Mexico devolve into a trade war, well, China, Canada, and Mexico are our three largest trade partners. So that would have a really detrimental effect. And there's a possibility of a, a trade war with the, uh, with the European Union. That makes us think about the 1930s and the last big trade war we had. And as a citizen of the world, that makes me very nervous. As an economist, it makes me a little bit excited. It's going to be something to talk about and study and, and work on uh, with my uh, students here. Uh, and that's that curse of living in exciting times. So it is exciting times. <laughs> We're talking with Timothy Kehoe. He is a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. His opinions do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve System. Local companies like Target and Best Buy are in a tight competition now with Walmart and Amazon. Will a trade war with China affect all of these companies equally, or might it be harder for Target and Best Buy to compete? That I'm not certain about. In principle, it should, uh, I do not uh, know, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, master the details on, on, on these companies. I do not know that uh, one or more of those companies source more from China than the others. And, and, you know, I tend to think that's not the big difference. What might happen, however, is that, uh, is that there's a trend for Americans to use more and more online shopping. And any kind of big shakeups of the market are likely to accelerate those trends. So if we picture that a company like Amazon is over time going to steal more and more market share from uh, Target, 
Walmart's another case because there might be some areas of the country, some people who are more prone to use brick-and-mortar retailers than uh, using the Internet. But to the extent to which we're thinking about consumers who do actively do both uh, online shopping and uh, brick-and-mortar shopping, uh, if there's a trend there, then this kind of shake-up that we're going to see if there's a continuation of the trade wars that uh, all the companies, both Amazon and uh, Target, and I know you asked about uh, Walmart and Best Buy and so forth, and I'm just thinking of those at the same time, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh, Amazon and Target just sitting out there as two competitors. It's going to hurt both, but it's going to shake up the market. And shakeups in the market lead to companies maybe seeing ahead, woof, we're making losses now. Well, we might as well t- uh, pay the costs and just do our switch. Let me give you a specific example. Right now, for the first time in, uh, in 12 years, as I understand it, GM and United Auto Workers are having a lot of trouble coming Strike up with Strike in progress contract. right That's now. That's right. There's... A lot of uncertainty about where U.S. automobile industry is going. U.S. automobile industry, uh, which was so hurt during the global uh, recession, it started uh, here at the very very end of 2007, but then 2008, 2009, and so forth. We're looking ahead and we're thinking of things like uh, driverless cars, more and more electric cars, ride sharing, and so forth. And... Companies like GM are nervous about that and trying to think where we're going to go. Well, if the economy is booming, they're making plans for stuff like that, but they're not desperate. Now that there's a lot of uncertainty uh, and uncertainty of whether we're going to be in in a recession next year, that's making them much more cautious in producing traditional cars, making them much more apt to pull back. And, um, you know, the same kind of thing that's happening with GM now, which is uh, making it difficult for them to settle with um, the UAW or look at it from, from the other point of view, making it difficult for the UAW to settle with them. That could, same kind of thing could be going on with Target. Uh, they're saying, hey, what's going to happen with the U.S. retail market? Right now, at a time when costs are high, disruption, it's difficult to uh, to plan, I better pull back. And to the extent they do that, it means Target's going to have trouble, but it also means the U.S. economy is going to have trouble. We're talking with Timothy Kehoe. He is a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. His opinions do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve System. How hard would it be for companies to actually take their operations out of China? That would be very difficult. Be very difficult. There's been a lot of investment in China. I already mentioned a lot of U.S. firms, uh, and we were mentioning the big uh, retailers, or online and brick and mortar uh, retailers who source from China. That'd be a difficult switch, but nowhere near as difficult as the firms that are opening operations in China to try to access this uh, booming. Uh, you know, China's slowed down, but it's still a fast-growth country. It's the biggest 
country in terms of population in the world. And uh, U.S. producers want into that market, and they've made a lot of investments there. And uh, writing off that kind of investment would be really costly. How has the agricultural sector of Minnesota's economy fared so far in the trade war with China? And what do you think this will mean for the future? Minnesota agriculture, like U.S. agriculture in general, has fared very badly uh, from the trade wars. And um, I say trade wars because I'm putting in the the kind of uh, complications with uh, steel tariffs and threats of tariffs even within NAFTA. We don't sell lots of agricultural goods to Europe. They're a very closed market for agriculture. So let me focus on our big customers who are countries like China, Mexico, and to a lesser extent, Canada. But, you know, the, the Minnesota producers uh, produce a lot of corn. They produce a lot of soy. They produce a lot of uh, pork products. There's other countries in the world that sell soy, corn, and pork products. The Chinese have already switched to those other countries. The Mexicans have already started looking at switching to those other countries. Brazil, to give one example, but Argentina is another one, and there's a number of other countries who are major producers of some of those products. That's a costly thing to do, to switch suppliers Once you switch suppliers, you don't switch back unless there's some big cost differential. So I'm afraid that U.S. uh, farmers who somehow thought that there was uh, gold at the end of the rainbow in this uh, trade war, they were mistaken. It's not going to be easy to get the big markets in uh, China and, and Mexico back. Now, that being said, Let me be fair to the uh, Trump administration on this. The U.S. producers, Jim, who we were discussing, who want to open up uh, markets in China, have found themselves pressured by Chinese partners and informally they're forced to have Chinese partners to turn over intellectual property, uh, technological uh, trade secrets, and so forth. The Chinese used to have a formal policy on this. There were protests through the WTO, which the the Chinese uh, joined uh, back 18 years ago, and the Chinese no longer formally required that. You, the Chinese partner with whom trade and technology secrets are shared with, But they're informally forced to do that. The United States should try to do something about that. The Trump administration has chosen a go-it-alone trade war approach with the idea that trade wars are easy to win, and they're not at all easy. Everybody loses in a trade war, just as everyone loses in a military war, rather than work with our allies, or at least the countries that have been traditionally our allies, to try to uh, restrict the Chinese from engaging in these kind of practices, which are against WTO rules. 
But, you know, that's what the TPP was uh, set up to do, to get a uh, collection of countries who are allies on the Pacific Rim to forge uh, trading rules across the Pacific. And you see, that includes not just Mexico and Canada, but also Japan, which is after China, Canada, Mexico, one of our biggest trade partners. In fact, it is our fourth largest trade partner. We get an alliance of countries around the Pacific. We use the WTO. The Europeans would be in favor of helping us restrict Chinese ability to extract trade secrets and technological secrets from our companies. That's the way I would have, if I was an advisor to the administration, which I'm not, that's what I would have advised them to do. How do you think Minnesota consumers will be affected by the trade tariffs? We have a couple months of Christmas shopping season is starting. Now, the Trump administration announced that they don't want to have a big uh, escalation in the trade war before then, but I could picture it happening. That would be very painful. You go to uh, Target, you'd shop online, and you'd see the prices of all kinds of goods, less expensive goods, goods that more lower middle class families might want to buy. They'd see a big boost in those prices. Some foodstuffs, of course, will cost less because Minnesota farmers are going to have to try to sell their products at any price they can get. But no, I think it will be hurtful to uh, U.S. consumers. I do think that the administration might pull back from doing that because that's kind of so painful that uh, I'm not sure that they want that kind of acceleration right now in the trade war. If the U.K. crashes out of the EU... Uh, without an agreement, the so-called hard Brexit. If that happens at the end of October, how could that affect the global and U.S. economies? The United Kingdom is not as an important player in the world economy as the United States and China. By no means. However, having a so-called hard Brexit with the U.K., as you rightly uh, uh, describe it, crashing out of the European Union, That'll be devastating to the UK. But, you know, I take that as given. It would mean that the UK is desperate to sign whatever kind of trade agreement with the United States they could get. I don't think that it's to the US's long-run advantage to impose a trade agreement on the UK or what's left of the UK, uh, if some pieces of it drop out, uh, that exploits them. But... um, that is not going to have the biggest effect on the U.S. or the world economy. But it will make the overall situation in Europe worse. The world's made up of all these different economies. In the old days, you'd always say when some economies are doing poorly, oh, well, that's fine, but I'm remembering back in the 1990s, oh, but the Japanese are the motor of growth for the world economy. Or, you know, even uh, 10 uh, years ago, uh, 15 years ago, you'd say, oh, China is the motor of growth. For the, they, they'll keep the growth going. Well, right now, we don't have an obvious motor. The major economy in the world that's doing the best is the U.S. economy, and thank God for us. But now with these uh, steps that look like we're faltering, you know, I'm nervous. It's, once again, 
I am not predicting a recession. If I knew there would be a recession next year and nobody else knew, I could make myself rich in a hurry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm uh, happy to be a professor at the University of Minnesota and I'm not rich. So that's not <laughs> the kind of thing I can predict. But I'm nervous about it. And, and, uh, and I'm not alone in that nervousness. Timothy Kehoe is a professor of economics at the University of Minnesota. He is also an advisor to the Minneapolis Federal Reserve Bank. His opinions do not necessarily reflect those of the Minneapolis Federal Reserve or the Federal Reserve System. Professor Kehoe, thanks so much for joining us again on Dialogue Minnesota. Thank you very much, Tim. I've, I've enjoyed it, um, even though I'm nervous about the state of the U.S. and the world economy. Discussing it is uh, what... what uh, what we economists like to do. Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. The founders of the United States envisioned the Supreme Court as the weakest of the three branches of government. But even a president who serves as little as one term can nominate Supreme Court justices who, if confirmed by the Senate, can sit on the bench for life. The presidential impact on public policy can extend well beyond their tenure in office. Despite the founders' intentions, many scholars now believe that the Supreme Court is the most powerful branch of government. On the next Dialogue Minnesota, University of Minnesota Moore's alumni distinguished professor of political science Timothy Johnson, a nationally recognized Supreme Court expert, shares his insights on how the court functions and what may lie ahead during its 2019 term that begins in October. Let us know if you have any comments about our program. Visit us at DialogueMinnesota.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. I'm Jim Dubois. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.